Good morning. Hello. Welcome and hola. <laughs> yeah. We're still doing our st series in Luke. I just love this book. I'm so excited today. I better make sure I don't go too fast. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had left their fishing boats. They had dropped their nets. They were on this new life journey, uh, leaving their primary work to follow Jesus. They were now in school, learning how to be disciple makers, how to become fishers of people. This is a significant life direction change. Um, I don't know if you've ever had to do that. Uh, not all disciples are called to drop their nets and, and follow Jesus this way, but like those men, those of us who are here today, uh, you can begin a new journey with Christ in new directions, even if you're already following him more in a, in a, in a more deeper way. Are you convinced of God's great love? The Bible says Jesus made payment for our sins by his death for us so that we can be give, forgiven. Do you believe that's true? Are you, are you convinced, are we convinced that we need God, Jesus' guidance, God's guidance to redirect our lives away from unholy life and choices to new directions? Are we convinced that Jesus wants to lead us forward into holier things, better things, God-pleasing things that not only bring blessings to others, but actually brings peace and new purposes in our own lives. Do you believe that's true, that that's God's will and directions for your life if you trust in him? Have you accepted Jesus' invitation to drop whatever and follow him? We need to ask ourselves, will I trust Jesus and follow him? That decision needs to be made, and to delay is not a wise choice. So why does Luke tell us about, we're going to look at two miracles today. We're going to look at a, a leper being healed, and we're going to look at this paralyzed man and his friends coming to Jesus for help. Why does Luke tell us about these stories? Well, he wants us to see that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, I don't know if there are any other people there, were in Fishing for People class 101. Okay? They were beginning this journey to learn what Jesus was about, what he came to do, what his mission was for the world. And, and these two miracles set, set us on the right trail, on the right path. These disciples were going to learn this, that without question, Jesus is the Son of God, God himself. Without question. Do you believe that this morning? Secondly, Jesus willingly helps people who are outcast, who are in trouble, who are desperate for help and have no way out except that God intervenes. Jesus willingly helps people who come to him. Jesus has authority to heal physical bodies, our physical bodies, but especially to forgive our sins. That's why he came. And fourthly, faith is the key to forgiveness and eternal life. We have a mission statement at Grace Chapel. Do you know what it is? It's in the bulletin, by the way. You can look at it. Making disciples who know, love, and serve God in all contexts of life and all areas of life. 
So we have some values that we try to focus on to help us become fishers of people, disciple makers. Bible-centered learning, that's why we take time to study the word of God together. We are seeking to know God better, seeking to know who Jesus is so we follow him. We're, we're, we're trying to build nurturing relationships so we help one another follow God. We're equipping one another to serve Jesus in the way he's gifted us, uh, the things he's laid on our hearts, maybe even to do things we're uncomfortable with but that God's calling us to. And we're serving our communities by living and telling Christ's message, his hope of salvation. So today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Luke to learn how to become fishers of people, following Jesus along the way. There's a picture there of just walking with Jesus, following Jesus. And although we can't do it physically, we can do it as we walk through this this, book. Luke's gospel together. So point number one today, follow and learn. Realize that Jesus's power, of Jesus's power and his willingness to aid us. There was a man born with less leprosy. Linda didn't, I didn't have Linda read that, but let's read that now in, in Luke's gospel, chapter five, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now, even more than the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Leprosy created this terrible isolation and misery. Back in Leviticus, I just look at a couple of verses in chapter 13. Here's, here's some of the law, the commands that God gave. What a burden if you had skin issues. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and, and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he will cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean. Unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, the Bible term for leprosy could cover all kinds of different skin, a variety of skin diseases or issues. Not all leprosy was like the life-threatening Hansen's uh, disease leprosy. But if you had that disease or any other thing, leprosy of the worst kind was incurable. It was disfiguring. The only defense was isolation, quarantine. We know a little bit about that now, don't we? And even if it wasn't the fatal type of leprosy, ongoing skin issues meant you were set aside. You were isolated. A person would suffer physically. They would suffer socially. They would suffer psychologically. They would be alone for for, uh, maybe forever. You know, your only friends were the other lepers. And imagine going to school tomorrow or going to 
the grocery store today or tomorrow or this week and having to say, unclean, (laughs) unclean, get away from me, stay clear. Imagine. In Israel's culture with leprosy, if you possessed it, there was a stigma. There would be a stigma. I wonder what she did that was so bad that God blessed her with leprosy. And those who didn't have it would begin to feel a little smug and self-righteous. I wonder what she did. Luke tells us that this man in in Luke chapter 5 was full of leprosy. We don't know how long he had leprosy. We don't know what kind of a person he was. You know, he could have been one of those, too bad, he's such a, a wonderful person. Why did it happen to such a nice person? Why would God do that? Or it could be, it couldn't have happened to a person who deserved it more. I'm so glad he's miserable. The man came. We don't know anything about him. He fell on his knees, ashamed of his physical uncleanness. Just a little bit earlier, last week, we talked about Peter falling on his knees, feeling embarrassed and ashamed of his sinfulness. So there's a picture here, isn't there, of spiritual and physical need and shame. The only source of income this man would have would be begging. Lord, if you will, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, there's no doubt in his mind that Jesus could do it if he willed to do it. He doubted that he was worthy of being healed, maybe, so he knelt down and was asking, like the way Peter felt unworthy to be in Jesus' presence, but he asked. And don't you love Jesus' response? I like the New International Version I am willing. Be clean. Compassion and acceptance. And don't miss it that Jesus touched him. Because if you touched a leper, then you became unclean. You had to go through all the process of going to the priest and doing all these sacrifices because you had touched an unclean person. The law was a burden, and Jesus willingly touched him. No one's too unclean for God to touch and to change and to heal, not only spiritually, but when it's his will physically. That is an amazing truth. Do not miss it. Know who Jesus is. We're walking along to learn about our God and let this picture settle into our hearts and minds so that as we go out and we begin to fish for people, we see them the way God sees them. You see, the physical needs we see among people are the result of sin. This world is a mess because of our sin, your sin, my sin. Sins through the ages are rebelling against God. The evilness in our hearts is part of the cause. Our deeds are part of the cause. We've been separated from God and we need God's mercy to clean our souls. God has the power to heal us physically. He may not do that in this world, but he will do it when he returns and his kingdom's here. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more misery. But know this, followers of Christ, 
Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Your love, our belief, our obedience to Christ are never wasted. Because God's grace has the power to make our lives fruitful and be a blessing to others, whether we just help them physically or share the gospel, a word of hope or encouragement, it is not wasted when we commit it to serving God. Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we are commissioned to bring the blessing of God's salvation into the dark places of people's souls and people's lives. And if we don't bring it, who will? Mike and I were just talking today. The apocalypse seems kind of closer than it did a few years ago. Sin and death are strong. But God's gospel overcomes it all. When we believe and follow Jesus in faith. Do you believe Jesus Christ saves and transforms people? I have 1 John 1, 8 through 10 on a slide, I believe. (laughs) Are you dealing with your sin well? Listen to what John, the Apostle John, wrote in 1 John, his first epistle, his first letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you aren't confessing your sins or admitting your shortcomings and your gaps in your life, your weaknesses and failures, then you're calling God a liar because God says you are a sinner. That you've fallen short of my glory, you've fallen short of the mark, you have failed. Are you dealing with your sin well? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. But listen, there's hope. Chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation, the covering for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow, there's hope there. So if we confess our sins, we know that our advocate, Jesus, is saying, it's covered. I died for it you can come and know and believe and know you will stand in my presence without fear. Do you believe Jesus is willing to cleanse you? Allow him to grow your love and obedience as you admit your need. So Jesus is reaching out to these, this alienated and marginalized people, and one of them was this leper. Our many iniquities separate us from God, and Jesus came to remedy that situation. He became sin for us so that we can stand before God through faith without fear. And the devil would have us not believe that, to think we're unclean, or he's unable, or doesn't care, or we don't need it. Those are lies. Understand, Jesus came and he's willing to aid us and help us to cleanse our hearts, our souls, and to even touch us physically. And one day, it'll all happen. 
What else do we learn from this passage? There's so many things. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus gave this leper a command. And he charged him to tell no one but, but to go and show himself to the priest and to make an offering for his cleansing as Moses commanded. But now, even more, the report about Jesus went abroad. This leper was supposed to go to the priest at the temple and say, I'm clean. I was a leper and now I'm clean. And he had to go through a whole ceremony. You can read about that in Leviticus 14. (laughs) The law was very complicated. It was to be a witness to the priest. It's like, wow, this guy had leprosy and all of a sudden in in an instant he's clean. That would be quite a testimony that God was with him, that, that Jesus, this healer, Uh, or whatever happened, that God was present and something was happening. And Jesus gave him orders to tell no one. Luke doesn't tell us, but in Mark's gospel, Luke says the leper didn't keep quiet, but he went out and he just broadcast. I mean, if you got healed like that, you got to tell somebody, right? And he did. He broadcasted. So Jesus was getting overwhelmed. And what did Jesus do? He was compelled to seek solitude and prayer with his father. So here we go, we're following Jesus and we're learning and Jesus' example highlights our need to be in solitude with our God. To be quiet and to speak and to hear from God. To accomplish God the Father's work, it requires Jesus and it requires you and me to go into his presence in prayer continually. What was going on here? Well, we don't know for sure, but I think with increased popularity, Jesus needed to get away and find heaven's strength to stay on mission. Jesus didn't want to fuel the popular expectations for Messiah. What was Messiah going to do? He was going to come and deliver us from the Rome from Rome, of all the oppression of of bad government. Jesus was, the Messiah was going to come, Jesus, who was the Messiah, but they didn't know it yet, most people. He was going to come, Messiah, and was going to make life good. Everyone was going to be eating, everyone was going to be prosperous, everyone was going to be driving their favorite car, or back then it would have been a chariot, or whatever. They were going to be prosperous. That was their expectations. But Jesus' main reason for coming the first time was what? to release us from the tyranny of sin, to rescue us from the evil that was in our hearts. So why was Jesus praying alone so often? Because the devil, Satan, like we just saw was had earlier, was tempting him to be king without suffering, to be spectacular and to be famous, to jump off the temple and to have people say, wow, to do Satan's will instead of God the Father's will to save humanity. So Jesus would go alone to pray. You know, there's a mystery in the book of Hebrews. It says this, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I can't understand that. I don't know if you can understand how I mean, Jesus was God, but Jesus was also fully human. And he was tempted like you and me, yet without sin. 
So somewhere, somehow in his humanity, he had to depend on God the Father. So he spent a lot of time in prayer. That's how he remained sinless, as God the Son and God the Man. Going to have Lizette come up just for a few moments to just make some practical implications and applications about prayer since she happens to be our prayer initiative leader here at Grace Chapel. Lizette, come on up. Good morning, Grace Chapel. Buenos dias. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for the invitation to come up here and highlight this very important ministry here. Um, So I'm going to speak about one of the most vital organs of our church body, prayer. Some people have likened it to the heart of the church. I'd like to point your attention to this little tiny paper that we have here. This this debuted today. This is our prayer ministry. Thank you, Terry, for taking care of this. Um, So there's many prayer opportunities available to you in this church. And um, there's also, I think there's a little blurb in the bulletin today possibly, or it might have disappeared this week. But this does talk, uh, it refers to something coming up in the future, which would be um, answered prayer board in the, in the little social hall downstairs. That hasn't happened yet. To be, to be continued, it will come. So that's just a little announcement. But this is, there's many ways that we can interact with prayer here. And so I, I just want you to know that. At the end of the service, if you want to come up and discuss some of these things, if you want prayer for specific things, Prayer is very serious, so it's like a concrete body that you speak and we do something with it. We take it to God as the saints gather on Wednesday evening and things like that. I'm going to go back to script, Mark, so that you can follow along with me. So um, what is prayer meeting like? So if I could interact with you and ask you and we could have this, this exchange, I think we'd be very amused by some of the answers you would say about what you think prayer meeting, what goes on a prayer meeting. So you might say to yourself, I don't go to prayer meeting. It's a bunch of blankety blank blanks. I don't know. Maybe that's what you would say. So, okay, just to be clear, whatever you fill that in with, I want you to look around you. I, I'm serious. I want, I want you to look around. Like, take a little, just a little, little bit of a neck stretch there. That's it. That's it. So that's who's at prayer meeting. People just like you. Sinners Anonymous. So if I could put a little sign, I know some people got their Eagles jerseys on, but if I could put like S-A, Sinners Anonymous, I am the biggest sinner I know. We should all be able to say that. We should become fluid with practicing that, with saying that about ourselves. If you don't feel that way about yourself, (laughs) I will submit to you that if it presses you into the arms of a loving Heavenly Father, then you should feel that way too. We can never be the sinless beings God requires of us without the covering and restorative blood of Jesus. And also, we can also never, we can also never outsin the love of God. If you have this impression that at the stroke of 7 p.m., I do one of these. Pray now. Okay. So that would be very incorrect. Okay. We meet in the library. It looks something like this. Okay. So it's a very cozy room with climate control in the winter and in the summer. (laughs) 
The, the books provide an additional layer of soundproofing in case that's an incentive. Bathrooms are conveniently located and accessible. And we mostly catch up with trending themes of the things God has pressed into our spirits and into our lives. So it's about a 50-50. We've got an hour and we talk some things. Some people take notes. I keep a little book so that I can, you know, next time I see you, I can ask you, well, how's that thing you were talking about at prayer meeting? You know, how's your child? How's your person? How's your teacher? How's this conflictual relationship? Um, but then we also have a guide. So it's not just, we're not just kind of freewheeling on prayer requests. We have a little sheet that looks something like this. And part of it has maybe some trending things that might go on in that prayer email on Wednesday. And the other half will have what you have submitted to us on the communication card for prayer. So every little line item that comes up here gets covered. If it doesn't get covered audibly in prayer meeting, it has gone out on an email where people can steward those prayer requests in our kind of our prayer team. And it also can be taken in our hearts. Um, and I, I can't even begin to tell you, um, I'm at about year three as prayer team lead, um, the Holy Spirit just, I'm doing dishes, I'm refilling the coffee, and like stuff just, it's like, woo, like the brain, like I'm surprised steam doesn't come off of it, because all these things are coming, coming into my mind about, you know, give a little prayer for that, do, do this stuff, so that, that's always kind of happening. Um, so, no one is coerced to pray, it is never and will never be mandatory. Silent prayer of the heart, mind, and spirit is equally as weighty. Um, and being in corporate prayer alongside with individual prayer summons awe. I want to talk a little note about awe. Awe shrinks just about every problem that you can imagine, and it puts it into proper perspective. I cannot emphasize what this does for fear and anxiety. It essentially vaporizes it. So when you stand in the presence of God, or even sometimes when you're corporately worshiping, because we are directed to do that, forsake not the assembling of ourselves, we get to experience a little bit of the, of the magnificence of God, and suddenly all the cares and the things that we shoulder during the week, they become very puny, you know, in the perspective. It's like, okay, that's a lot smaller now than it was an hour ago. Um, we schedule weekly fitness classes and other routine appointments. Prayer meeting is a way that you can schedule and cultivate a healthy spiritual habit. As God's word has just clearly proven, Jesus felt the need to be with his dad in chit-chats all throughout the day, and then he would go to less busy spaces to saturate with his substance and sovereignty by being in his presence. Now, it's not that we can go anywhere and hide from his presence, but he wanted to, in a more focused manner, be in God's presence. I encourage you to solicit a higher degree of God's power and spirit in your life with the 21-day prayer challenge. For those of you who need a little bit of a stronger language to persuade you, I dare you. I dare you to test God. I double dare you. Do I need to triple dare you? Okay. So, lo reto doblemente a probar a Dios. Okay? So, I encourage you to plumb the depths of all your anger and resentments before the God of the universe and see how he will respond to his child wrangling with their emotions. I assure you that God is a safe space and you can't have an emotion or reaction that God himself hasn't already designed in humanity. Do you remember the scene in Forrest Gump when Captain Dan is in the storm? Anybody? Anybody seen Forrest Gump here? Okay, so Captain Dan is having a few spicy, tangy words with God. He's having it out during the storm. Like, is this the best storm you can, you can give me? He's, he's having it out, right? So I'm going to submit to you that I, I think, I imagine that many people, like some of you included, you need to have this conversation with God because um, you need to talk with God in a way that you can dump all your bad emotions out of your system because here's the truth. God can handle it. 
Guess who created emotion? Guess who designed humanity? He can handle it. So one more thing. Prayer is free therapy. You can't afford an hour of therapy. Insurance doesn't cover it. It's out of network. Jesus is never out of network. He's not charged to your annual deductible. And the Wi-Fi network doesn't go down. GodFi is always working at the fastest bandwidth by God's, allowed by God's universe. Let's see, and I, I wrote something here I can barely read. Okay, everything is in the bandwidth of the God of the universe, so he, he runs it all. So I wanna to submit to you that this, there is a flawless formula for annihilating anxiety. If you feel like the 1893 painting, expressionist Norwegian painting, Edvard Munch, 130 years old, okay? This is kind of like the great pictorial summation of anxiety. If you feel like this guy, and honestly, if you're human, I love it when you go to a healthcare exam and they're like, do you have anxiety? I'm like, who doesn't? So really, everybody's gonna experience this if you're human. It's probably somewhere in your you know, collection of experiences. This is how you can gird yourself. So Philippians 4, 6 to 8. I'm gonna call this the flawless formula for annihilating anxiety, okay? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. See, here's the formula. If we're doing two plus two equals four, be anxious about anything, but in everything, and this is what's gonna happen. It's very, I love it, it's so mathematical and beautiful. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, and then here's another directive, gives you a little, little recipe, this is what we need to do next. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I'm gonna close by saying this in translation. Filipenses 4, 6, 8. Por nada estéis afanosos, sino sean conocidas vuestras peticiones delante de Dios. En toda oración y ruega con acción de gracias. Y la paz de Dios, que sobrepasa todo entendimiento, guardará vuestros corazones y vuestros pensamientos en Cristo Jesús. Por lo demás, hermanos, todo lo que es verdadero, todo lo honesto, todo lo justo, todo lo puro, todo lo amable, todo lo que es de buen nombre, si hay virtud alguna, Si algo digna de alabanza, en esto pensa. Thank you. Oh, stole your notes. Stole my notes. I'm so sorry. I don't know where I am. Those are my brains. I told you, Sinners Anonymous. <laughs> Were you trying to tell me something, was that? Thank you. I think it's important to take time to think about prayer. We just sang about prayer. And it's powerful and we don't tap into that resource. A God who wants us to walk with him. We're learning from Jesus. So learn how to pray a little bit better. Uh, you can talk to Lizette afterwards about opportunities, a book to read. Maybe you need someone to partner with, to pray with. We'd love to help you do that. Luke writes so we can follow Jesus along with these disciples. We get to walk with him and realize how much he wants to aid us, to help us, to, to fix our souls and to fix our bodies. If he doesn't do it in this life, 
You know, if you got healed of cancer, that's wonderful, and God can do that, but you're going to die. But when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be gone. That's a wonderful thing to hope in. Realize how vital prayer is to be in the very presence of your Creator so that you can overcome temptations and the weaknesses and your life can begin to be fruitful for God's kingdom. And prayer is a resource we have to help us do that. The power of God. So let's follow along and learn and guard your heart and don't refuse Christ's forgiveness. And that has to do with the story of the paralytic. So along the way, he's in one city healing a leper. And one of those days, we don't know where he was, he was teaching. And hard hearts were refusing already Jesus' authority. And Luke wants us to see the story so we do not make the same mistake. Jesus has the power to heal. God was giving it to him, it says in verse 17. Again, I can't wrap my mind around that totally, that here's God the Son, and yet he spent time with the Father. And the Father, after spending time with God the Father, it's not an accident we have that part of the story. He now has the power to heal, it says, like the Spirit of God was on him in power. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So Jesus is up in Galilee and like these people traveled far. That's not, uh, that's not a day, that's more than a day's hike, okay? So they came far because this guy is getting popular and they wanted to make sure that he was interpreting the law of God perfectly. They were experts in Jewish legal traditions that interpreted Moses' law. And they were going to give their opinions about Jesus if he was on target. His popularity was spreading, so this committee wanted to come and make sure, check it out, and, and put their stamp of approval or disapproval on it. That's the power they had. They took their beliefs seriously. They put this fence around God's law. Uh, they tried to keep it pure. As a matter of fact, an example of that, how do you keep the law of God pure? Well, like, you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. Use it carelessly. And if you really want to do a study on that, I heard a great message from a young guy. <laughs> it's about carrying God's name. So it has more to do than speak. It has a lot to do with speak and how we live. I can take the Lord's name in vain by living poorly as a believer. Boy, that puts a lot of extra stuff on us, doesn't it? So how do you take the Lord's name in vain? Well, to protect it, they said, never say God's name. Never say Yahweh. Never say Jehovah. So if you don't ever say that name, then you can't take his name in vain. Well, how foolish is that kind of thinking? But that's what they did. They made all these laws. They were experts in the law. They were serious, though, right? They thought they were doing God a favor. And, and Luke wants to focus on two things here, Jesus' teaching and Jesus' power. The presence of God's power to heal means that God is present and he's working through Jesus. So the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they were coming to see if Jesus fit into their expectations and beliefs and interpretation, and they came doubting who Jesus was. And then we see that these four men carrying their paralytic friend, their handicapped man, their physically handicapped uh, person, they were coming because they believed Jesus could heal him. 
that Jesus could help them. Totally different reasons. So we see them coming together. And this story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so we know it's important. God wants us to know this story because he wants us to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. It's more than just fixing our souls, although that's our biggest need, right? And we're going to see that in the text. Because what are the first words out of Jesus' mouth when this paralytic man gets lowered through the roof? Imagine somebody busting through the roof and dropping a guy down in front of me. I couldn't heal him like Jesus did, but that would be something, right? They were desperate. These men cared about their friend. They believed that Jesus could help. They were not going to let any obstacle stop them from getting their friend to Jesus, the one who could help this man, the only one who could help. And they believed. They had faith. And Jesus saw their faith. And the first words he said was, not be healed, but what? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the power, the authority to forgive us of all our sins. How do you get that from Jesus? You come to him in belief, in faith, in trusting dependence that he can rescue you. When Jesus saw their faith, God responds when our faith, even if it's minuscule, like a mustard seed, he sees our hearts, he knows we're desperate, and he responds. Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, do you know that your faith, your trusting in Jesus, benefits other people? It intercedes on behalf of other people. Your belief can bring blessing to other people. But let me say this, there's no proxy salvation. What do I mean by proxy? My mother's faith, my father's faith, cannot save me. I must believe. I have no substitute. I have to rest, I have to believe that Jesus is the Savior who can heal me, and then that Belief will change me. Forgiveness of sins is really personal, very personal. And somewhere, not only these four friends, but this paralyzed man believed that Jesus could do what he said. This is a pronouncement story. What do I mean by that? It's a declaration. What does Jesus say? His first words are this, your sins are forgiven. They were coming for physical help, and they got something even better. Jesus does it better. He says, your your faith has brought you forgiveness. First words are important in this story. They're important in all these kinds of stories. So this is an important word. Jesus came to deliver us from our moral and spiritual disabilities. We can't walk with God without God's transforming new life given to us by faith. Jesus is the only Savior that can really meet humanity's need to live well. And Jesus' salvation is for the whole person. Soul first, body. It's a great picture. So Jesus makes a declaration. Your sins are forgiven. That's amazing. 
The religious experts make a declaration. <laughs> Who can forgive sins but God alone? They got it right. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. I can't absolve you of anything. I got my own sins <laughs> and problems. They're correct. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. But what they failed to recognize because of their hard, heart, hard hearts were that Jesus was the one who's, who is God himself living among them. And then Jesus makes a second declaration. He affirms that he has the authority to forgive, and he says, rise up and walk. <laughs> wow. Has your soul this morning taken that humble step of belief? Warning sirens. <laughs> Do not refuse him because you may not have another day to decide. So follow and learn. Watch what Jesus is doing and has equipped us to do in these stories. Do you know God's redemption goals? Now, what does redemption mean? That's just a big theological word we use. Uh, we call Christianese for restoration, liberation, rescue, or deliverance. To be redeemed means you've been saved, you've been rescued. A person must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that before God we're unrighteous. That's what God tells us that all have sinned and fall short of his glory. Believe that Jesus' death paid for our wicked deeds, our evil thoughts, those secret thoughts. Believe that Jesus willingly suffered punishment in our place. Believe that he's alive, that he's resurrected, proving that he's paid for the punishment of sin. Believe we now have power to follow after God and live for God's glory in a new way that we couldn't have without that simple element of belief in Christ, surrendering to him. Faith brought this man and his friends to Jesus. Take up your bed and walk, and the man did. He could, be, he could because Jesus made him a new person. That would be amazing to see. Can you imagine someone who is really, really, truly paralyzed? In an instant, with a word, walking. I love what Daryl Bach says, the couch had carried the man. Now the man carries the couch. The man went away walking and glorifying God. He was spiritually healed. So even if he died the next day, he was in right relationship with God. His sins were forgiven. It had been declared all because he simply surrendered in belief to Jesus. The crowds praise God. Here he is walking home now. It's like, I can work again. I can provide for my family. I can do what I've always wanted to do. We have seen remarkable things today, but the hard-hearted people refuse to see it or say it. Something only God could do. Faith and forgiveness. They go together, people. The soul is cured. The body is healed. And if you've begun this journey with Jesus, what are you learning about Jesus today from Luke's account? For you who humble yourselves and follow Jesus in faith, you're going to see that God's 
And Jesus' loving kindness to his people never, ever changes. He's always seeking people on the fringe, the outcasts, the weak, the lowly, rich or poor, smart or not so smart. God's love is a deep well and no bottom can be found. That's who Jesus is. That's who your Savior is if you've trusted him. Don't have time to look at it today, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Great collection of things that you are blessed with if you are a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ as your Savior. His loving mercy has chose you, called you, provides for you. He's working to transform you. His grace gives you a new mind and new abilities to, to turn away from what's unholy and tearing your life apart to holier things, better things, nobler things. God's loving mercy comes seeking wayward daughters and sons. And instead of shaming us, he throws a feast for us when we come back to him. You know what? Close with this. Jesus forgave a man's sins and then he walked away. He healed him. And that narrows all the options of what we can believe about Jesus. You don't have a choice. He is God. And to refuse him is foolishness. Luke writes his gospel so we know and follow Jesus without any doubts or fears. Remember what Jesus came to do to help us stumbling, lost, and struggling people. Jesus has the power to rescue us, to rescue you and me, to transform us into people if we will just humbly bow and believe he can deliver us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Hear these words from Isaiah because he told us what Jesus was about. Know Jesus, follow Jesus. Here's what he says to you, believer. You are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray. Father and God, Lord Jesus, be pleased to take your word that you've given to us to help us believe and to know. Lord, erase doubts that we might have of your power to change us, to transform us, that you're willing to aid us if we just humbly come to you. Lord, we wait on you. Spirit of God, do your transforming work in our hearts and lives. Lord, use us to spread this truth into all the world that needs it so well. Lord, give its faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.